Welcome. You are listening to the CMS Podcast, where legal experts and industry leaders give you key insights on current legal topics. In today's podcast, Infloat Director Joachim Gerritsen talks about purpose-built asset token blockchains. The podcast is recorded during the Tokenized Assets Conference in Amsterdam. Please visit our podcast channel for other podcasts part of the Tokenized Assets series. Enjoy the podcast. Next is Jochem. Jochem uh, Gerritsen. It's good to have uh, some Dutch speakers, some international speakers. Um, Jochem is with, uh, works with Infloat in Utrecht. Nice city. I live there too. Um, let me check and give you this mic. Yeah. They work both. Here's your clicker. And I would say, let's please learn us all about purpose-built asset token blockchains. Thank you. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Ryan, for a great introductory uh, talk. Today, I will speak about purpose-built asset block token blockchains, and that's quite a mouthful. Uh, what I mean by that is blockchains that have been specifically built to issue security or asset tokens on. I use here asset token and security token interchangeably. We can discuss afterwards whether that's a good thing or not. Um, but before, before I do so, let me quickly introduce myself and our company. So we are a small boutique consultancy based in Utrecht. Uh, this is our mission statement currently. And um, I will... Um, what we do is we, on the one hand, we do a lot of in, in edu education, so in blockchain education with universities uh, in the Netherlands, for instance. And on the other hand, we work on as project architects, so working specifically on issuing tokenized securities, security tokens, asset tokens, for instance. So I will tell you a story about questions, and this is not really a, a story about questions that I, um, that I ask myself, but it's more a, a story about questions that I get asked often. And this started one and a half years ago or so um, when we started our company. And so these are some of the clients and, and uh, businesses that we work with, with the full disclosure being that we also work with uh, the people of Dusk uh, Network, which I would be talking about uh, a bit later in the presentation. And so what I mean with questions is that I get a lot of questions from our network, from our clients, and from people outside of, uh, outside of our network. And, and it started one and a half years ago or so with the question simply, what is a token? And so we started doing some research and um, basically sharing our knowledge on, on what is a token. And then that quickly kind of evolved, in the, I would say, in the same way that the market evolved, which is from a token to these ICOs to STOs. I, I agree with the sentiment that uh, abbreviations are not, not necessarily a good thing. I'm also not sure if we should compare ICOs with STOs at all. Um, but the idea is, is that you do get more and more specific questions. And uh, so a second question was, what is a security token and, and perhaps even how can I issue it? Um, that kind of resulted in us uh, running a newsletter and, and new website called FinHash Network which, with which we share our, our knowledge and news about finance and blockchain, and specifically also about projects that are issuing these tokens with our clients and with anyone. Um, this has been read quite widely, so until here, this is uh, my personal promotion, <laughs> and I'll actually go into the, the actual content. So th these questions come started with what is a token, and then it's like what what is a security token? How can I issue a security token? And perhaps even how are security tokens transacted? And currently we see that 
these security tokens uh, are transacted using specific standards. And I quite like this quote, which basically says we need standards to issue security tokens because security tokens are very different from any other so-called utility tokens. Let's talk specifically about tokenized security. So if you want to issue debt or equity on chain, then you need some sort of standard to allow for specific restrictions, for instance. So you, you might not want just anyone to hold your share, the share in your company. And there are currently many different tokenization standards. So of course it started with ERC-20, which wasn't really purposefully built for uh, security tokens. It was more for tokens in general. Um, and then we got ERC-1400, which is created by Polymath, which some of you may know. Uh, ERC-1404, TokenSoft. Um, R-Token, created by Harbor. DS Protocol, created by Securitize. Uh, T-Rex Protocol by uh, Tokeny, of, of which uh, uh, Daniel is here today as well. So you have all these different tokenization standards which do different things, but in the end they kind of come come down to somewhat the same thing, meaning that we need certain we need to be able to put certain restrictions on these securities that are traded in in these standards. Of course, this wasn't the only solution for companies and for people to issue security tokens, and it still isn't. You can still create your own smart contract, put in specific limitations, go to uh, your local regulator and check if, if that is uh, compliant with local laws. Um, and so we see also that that is a solution. Some people have built security tokens on Stellar, for instance. Um, maybe you've seen the news that last week or the two weeks ago, uh, Blockstream announced uh, the Liquid Network, uh, announced asset tokenization on its Liquid Network, which is a side chain of Bitcoin. So there's quite a lot of different possibilities here to issue tokenized assets or tokenized securities. Now the question, of course, is, and, and that's also the topic of my presentation, is, is this enough? Is this adequate? And a lot of people talk about, in, in conferences like these, in presentations like these, talk about the trillions, the millions or trillions upon dollars in assets that can be, um, can be unlocked using security tokens. So, for instance, people would talk about the global equity market, which is 70 tr trillion, I believe. And if we only, only can get 1% of that uh, onto blockchain, then security tokens will sur surely be a success. But can we indeed get that 1% on blockchain if we use these kind of standards? And the next question is, do we need blockchains that are purposefully, purposefully built for a specific solution, for a specific use case? Um, and uh, I quite like this also. It's a quote by Charles Hoskinson, by the co-founder of uh, Ethereum and Cardano, who said, most blockchains please all of the people some of the time. So they're really general solutions that try to cater to almost anyone. They aren't really specifically built for the financial industry, for instance. And perhaps we indeed need something like that, that is specifically built for the financial industry. And the reason for that is that these standards work on top of an existing blockchain. And in this existing blockchain, certain choices have been made according to um, transaction speed, for instance, or privacy. And perhaps these choices, even though you built a, st a standard on top of Ethereum in this case, um, you might not, you, you might, want to have di different choices 
being made for your security token if you want to issue it on Ethereum. Take for instance, uh, of course, transaction speed. So um, that may be an issue. It can be solved with, with side chains. But the question is, of course, do we need something that is built from scratch? And what does that look like? And so in my view, and I've also talked to some of the projects that I'll mention uh, a bit later, um, there are quite a, a few number of different aspects that we have to take a look at that we have to incorporate when building a blockchain from scratch, specifically for securities for financial markets. And so what do we need? Well, one of these is a form of identity. And this can be uh, in, in, in different formats, so to say. But you need to be able to allow, especially big companies have compliance officers, they need to, to be able to know exactly who is holding a specific security um, as well as, as regulators. The second one is privacy. At the same time, we need these transactions that occur of securities, we need them to be private. And the reason for that is that it can easily result in market manipulation. If I'm buying uh, half of Apple stock, which is tokenized, um, then of course this transaction, if that's public, then uh, people will, well, knowing me, probably they will sell off all their Apple stock <laughs> right away. But uh, um, uh, so we need this privacy of, of, uh, of transactions. At the same time, if we think about these trillions upon, of dollars that can possibly be, be tokenized, of trillions of dollars in assets that can be tokenized, uh, we also need speed, because if you only get like t 10 or 20 transactions per second and we have massive amounts of numbers of securities that are being transacted, then this needs to, be ha needs to happen super fast. Uh, next one is settlement finality. We need to know when exactly is a, is a security transacted and when exactly do I hold this security. When I am, am I the owner of this Apple stock, for instance? If, if we're not sure about this, which is the case with uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchain, for instance, they use the deepest block to determine, um, determine the longest chain and to, to determine whether uh, a transaction is final. But that means that we may have to wait a while and that we're not entirely sure. But we need to be sure when transactions are final, when they are settled, especially in... Um, yeah, more in cases like mergers or, or uh, more difficult uh, securities cases. Then, of course, compliance. And compliance is, in my view, a bit of a buzzword because it's nice to be compliant, but compliant with what? Um, of course, we're here at the law firm, so, so I'm, uh, I'm sure uh, they will agree. Um, still, we need to allow for compliance and for people, to, for securities to be compliant with local, local jurisdictions. And so these blockchains need to... Um, either allow already this, this compliance being built in, or they need to allow for developers to build specific uh, applications, specific smart contracts, for instance, that allow you to issue a, a security in, um, in Ghana, for instance. Then, of course, user experience is, as always, I think, in blockchain is a bit of an issue, um, which is also quite important. So the question now is, is who are working on these purpose-built asset token blockchains? or security token blockchains. And there are quite a few companies working on this right now. I'm pretty sure these are not the only ones, but these are ones, uh, some of the ones that I, I know of. Of course, Dusk, which I mentioned already, it's a, it's a Dutch company that is working, um, has been working for a while and has three main 
pillars, so they focus also on transaction finality. Um, they also prevent hard forking as much as possible because if a hard fork, occur, hard, hard fork occurs, then how do you really know which security is yours, for instance, uh, and on privacy. Um, then there's CodeChain, which is a Korean project uh, recently backed by BitHump. So BitHump is a number five exchange, I think, uh, in the world. Um, and they really want to build tooling around their blockchain to offer people as, m as much possibilities to, to create securities on, on that blockchain. Um, Ravencoin is a, uh, a, not a sidechain, but a, a hard fork, basically, of a copy of, of the Bitcoin blockchain, which has been live already for quite a while. Um, it also has already seen securities issued on it. Then, two weeks ago, you may have seen the news. Polymath and, um, and Charles Hoskinson of Cardano have combined force, forces and announced a partnership to work on a new blockchain, which is called Polymesh, which is very at the first stages of, of development, but it seems to be interesting. And then Onera is a last one, which is created by the founder of the first tokenized fund, Spice VC. Um, and uh, they're also still in development. So if we take a look at these different projects, then uh, one way to compare them, of course, is public, uh, private, permission, permissionless. And what you see is that, that some of them have made, actually all of them have made specific choices about whether they should be permissioned or permissionless. On the one hand, you have Onera, for instance, who says, we want to focus on institutionals, on really the big funds, banks, that because they bring in the money, we want, we want to focus on them, so we need some sort of permission structure where not just anyone can participate in validating these transactions. And CodeChain also says, we don't want that because even though the data may, may to some extent be private and these transactions to some extent may be private, we don't want anyone to um, outside from trusted validators to, to validate these transactions. On the other hand, Dusk and Ravencoin basically say, actually we want everyone to be able to participate and we don't want uh, to, for people to rely on us or on our developers or on specific trusted parties uh, to be able to issue tokenized securities and to be able to also participate in validating the network. So what does this current look, currently look like? Because I think for, for many of you, um, you probably haven't heard about many of these projects yet. Um, as I said, most projects currently, and most companies currently issue their tokens on a specific standard using a specific platform like Token Market or um, uh, Tokeny. Uh, and that's also reflected in this timeline because Ravencoin has been around already for a bit longer uh, but CodeChain has been launched just two months ago. Then Dusk is, Dusk's mainnet is um, expected in Q3 this year. Uh, and then uh, Onera and Polymesh will only be 2020, 2021. It's very unclear. So, for example, for Polymesh, they said, we'd rather build something good in three years than uh, deliver a, a shitty product in six months. Which means that it, we can really, really take a while for um, this to happen. And so if we look at that even further, then what does this future of security token blockchains look like? And in my opinion, there's three things that are particularly important here. And one of them is so-called app stores. It's what you see, of course, with Ethereum as well, that we get a lot of development activity on top of Ethereum. And similarly, these different projects want 
other developers to build on top of their blockchain to allow for, for instance, um, compliant security tokens in Ghana, which is probably not something that they will uh, build for themselves. Then the second thing is differentiation. And so if we indeed want, or if these projects indeed want so many companies, so many institutionals, uh, and bring these onto a blockchain, and specifically their blockchain, then um, you have to start somewhere. So you need to start with a specific solution or a specific, specific target group and differentiate ac uh, according to what you think will work best. And lastly, of course, there's interoperability. And that's something that we see now also with uh, Cosmos, for instance. Um, if these blockchain projects indeed go forward and indeed deliver on, on what they think they will deliver on, then we need at a certain moment interoperability. If all these securities, all this money will eventually be transacted on top of a blockchain or on top of multiple blockchains, then these need to, need to talk to one another, let's say. So I always like to end a presentation with some key takeaways. Um, there's a lot of presentations today, and uh, there's not so much uh, room, at least in my head, to remember everything. So these are two. Uh, one, there, are, there is a real case to be made, in my opinion, for purpose-built blockchains, and specifically for asset token blockchains. There is, yeah, it, and I also think that we will see more and more of them. And secondly, it will take a lot of time. So these type of, type of projects, these type of blockchains will come. But I think if we say, uh, like Ryan said, that 2019, 2020 will be the years of the security token, if we talk about the years of the security token blockchains, I'm not entirely sure whether that will be 2019, 2020, or maybe 21, 2022. Um, and so first, of course, we need this infrastructure, and then we need adoption. And that's kind of the, the way I see it. And thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the CMS podcast. Did you enjoy this podcast? Please visit our podcast channel and use the subscribe button to stay up to date on legal content. Until next time.